Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Father John Bartunek, is the author of several outstanding books, including uh, Inside the Passion. It's a uh, look, an insider's look, at uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. And uh, he was, uh, Father Bartunek was there on set providing spiritual support during the production of the film. He has other books which are really uh, exceptionally well-written, 60 Days to Becoming a Missionary Disciple, The Better Part, a Christian-centered resource for personal prayer, and Spiritual but Not Religious, The Search for Meaning in a Material World. Father, good to have you back here. Thanks. Oh, great to be with you, Al. Um, So let let me uh, just ask you to once again tell us how you were associated in the uh, offering spiritual support during the filming of The Passion, and, uh, you know, how you related to uh, Mel Gibson or the other principal players in the uh, film. Yeah, well, it was one of those situations that wasn't really planned, um, except maybe in God's providence. Mm-hmm. I was during my final theology studies in Rome, and one of the seminarians I was studying with uh, his parish priest was also the parish priest of Jim Caviezel, the actor who plays Jesus sure. in The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. So Jim had invited that parish priest to Rome. Hey, why don't you come to Rome? You can visit the set. You can do a little pilgrimage. We can spend some time together. So that priest had come to Rome, and he called up the seminarian that I knew, and he said, Hey, would you like to come and visit the set where Mel Gibson's making The Passion of the Christ? <laughs> uh, and this friend of mine said, Yeah, I'd love to. Can I bring a friend? And so he, he invited me to come along. He knew that I had always been, I had always loved film and the dramatic arts. Mm-hmm. So we showed up on set uh, there outside of Rome. Or in, they were filming. And they had already been filming for about maybe six or seven weeks at that point. Mm-hmm. And so everybody, you can just imagine, you know, all the, the makeup artists and the lighting engineers and everybody, they'd all been basically these long days for about six or seven weeks. They'd been staring at Jesus for like 12, 14 hours a day. And so things had started, were happening in their hearts, in their minds. They had questions. So we showed up with our collars, our clerical dress there, mm-hmm. religious, and uh, and everybody wanted to talk to us. Everybody just said, Father, I have, a, wow. I have some questions for you. Please, uh, what's going on? You know, can you explain this to me? Yeah. So, uh, and that was the beginning of our contact, and uh, it just kind of grew from there. That's great. That was a, that was a, you, you were there at the right time. People were ready to, <laughs> to engage. Beautiful. Um. The film itself is not like uh, just any other Jesus movie. Movie, it's pretty much in a class by itself, don't you think? Oh yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. I think you know there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, obviously, the artistry is very different. Mm-hmm. Mel Gibson decided to film it in uh, the original languages, Aramaic yep. and Latin. Yep. Um, and there are subtitles, but originally, he, when he was actually filming, doing the cinematography itself, uh, he was thinking there were not going to be subtitles because <laughs> he wanted you to. He wanted everything to be able to be communicated just by the gestures, the tone of voice, all the nonverbals, and he didn't want to put anything that could kind of interfere with you thinking that you were actually there. For these events, yes, yes. Uh, so that's why he filmed it. You know, thinking I, I don't want to use even the subtitles. Eventually, he did put in the subtitles, but even just that approach, making it all, this is almost a documentary. I want you to feel as if you're really there. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that contributed to that, the yeah. power of it. Yeah. And uh, one of the things people always comment on when they see the film is uh, it's it's bloodier and more violent than they're accustomed to when they've seen other Jesus films. Um, and this was no doubt, you know, intended uh, by uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, talk to us a little bit about why the violence in this film is just more intense and enduring than the uh, than other films. I think there's a natural explanation and there's a supernatural explanation okay. regarding the intensity of the of the violence. The, the natural explanation comes from Mel's own experience of Christ as he prayed through the Passion, as he prayed through the Gospels. Okay. Mel got to a point in his own life where he had abandoned his faith, he wasn't living his faith, uh, and he was very successful as an actor, as a Hollywood director, but he was no longer living a fulfilling life. He was empty, uh, really very dark place. And it was in that, uh, in that place of his life, kind of in that season of his life, when he said, maybe I should turn back to my faith. And the thing that brought him back to God was beginning to understand through his own study and reading of history, theology, and also of the saints, the intensity of Christ's suffering. When he discovered what really happens in a crucifixion and a flagellation, Mm -hmm. and then realized, well, that's how Jesus chose to save me, it was the intensity of the suffering that, for him, was a revelation of the intensity of God's love. And that brought him back. That made him believe that God could actually have mercy even on his sins. So, when when he filmed it, he wanted to bring out what really happened uh, in, in a crucifixion and in a flagellation. I mean, those were not uh, those were not pretty pretty events, right? Right. So that's the natural explanation, and I think the supernatural supernatural explanation is the following: for the first three hundred years of Christianity, all of our older brothers and sisters in the faith, all the Christians in those first three hundred years, they had all witnessed firsthand crucifixions and flagellations. Yeah. Because they were normal forms of, of criminal punishment that were designed to be as horrible as possible as a way to be a deterrent from crime. And, and they were public you know, penalties. So at all of the first Christians for the first 200 years had seen that. Then when Constantine became a Christian, he outlawed crucifixion. And over the centuries, those forms of punishment were less and less common. Mm-hmm. So by the time the 20th century, 21st century rolls around, we followers of Christ, we never, we don't really know what a crucifixion yeah. was yeah. or a flagellation because the Gospels don't describe the details, right? Right. right. So right. I think it was, in a sense, an artist taking the role of a prophet and reminding us of of what really happened in the Gospels and opening that up to us, yeah. bringing us back to those first generations of Christians. Yeah, very good. Uh, you write that the the opening scene in Gethsemane is a microcosm of the whole passion. What did you mean? Well, it, we have that's the beginning of the battle, right? The battle. Right. Our Lord um, is suffering. He's absorbing all of the sins of humanity into Himself, and in and accepting that as the Father's will for Him. So He's redeeming us, right? Uh, and the battle happens throughout the movie. He's suffering all kinds of indignities, and he's loving in the midst of them throughout the entire movie. In in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
you, we see the devil makes the first appearance uh, and tries to discourage Jesus from going through with the Father's mission. And so we have that, but, but Jesus stays faithful, he prays, he offers himself. So there's an interaction between those, the good versus evil there in the garden, which comes out in, uh, you know, in the, even in the symbolism of the nature, the, the clouds covering over the moonlight mm-hmm. and the sounds of the, of the predatory birds in the forest at night, in the garden at night, right? So, so it's kind of setting the stage for that battle that unfolds throughout the film. And then when Jesus finally dies on the cross, we even get a last glimpse of the devil uh, who's, who realizes that he's been beaten uh, by, by Jesus' love. So it's all kind of summarized and begun right there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Uh, something about the, the film that uh, I have found especially um, uh, engaging has been the role of the Blessed Mother, uh, she's very active uh, in this film in ways that she um, is not in other Jesus movies. Uh, I compare her to Olivia Hussey in Jesus of Nazareth, Zeffirelli's work, where she's, uh, again, a ni- very nice job, but largely passive and observant, whereas in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, uh, Mary is almost a covenantal partner with Jesus uh, in this event. Um, in uh, he draws strength from her. Uh, she's uh, really in a in a in a, a fight with the devil herself over uh, who uh, is going to uh, is he going to be thwarted in his carrying out of his mission or is he going to be encouraged to carry out his mission? Um, so I'm I. Why do you think Mel Gibson was able to have such a a large role? for Mary in his portrayal of the Passion. And we don't see her playing that kind of active, engaged uh, partner uh, in other Jesus films. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for Mel, he really, as I mentioned, when he kind of began his journey back to the faith, he dipped into, uh, you know, a lot of the great sources of Catholic spirituality even the Fathers of the Church, which discuss, they present Mary as the new Eve, who, together with Jesus, who's the new Adam, uh, begin the new creation, right, the redemption. So she is a a real participant. By God's will, he invited her to join in in a a very active way in this plan of redemption, just as he he invites each of us, in a sense, not, not, not to cooperate so closely as Mary, but to cooperate with mm-hmm, Jesus. So, mm-hmm. so, and then, and, and also, Mel really was immersed himself in the writings of the saints, and even a lot of the visionaries, the mystics throughout um, the history of the Church, for instance, uh, St. Anne Catherine Emmerich, right. who, who was granted, she was an 18th century German nun, she was granted visions of the passion of Jesus and the life of Mary. And a lot of the saints and mystics through, through the history of the Church when they were kind of given their experience of Christ, there was the Marian dimension was very present in there. And so for him, it was very important to bring that out. Uh, and, and also, Mary in the movie is always kind of with John the Evangelist and Mary Magdalene. Right, right. So that trio, right, so it's a little community of believers yep. who are accompanying Jesus, really. And in Mel's mind, that was very important to depict because that's the Church. That's the right. nascent Church. 
who doesn't understand, but they're not. They're, but they're trying to accompany and love and receive from Christ throughout this, uh, you know, this horrible journey. Uh, so all those elements kind of came together. It's interesting. He, Mel said that was one of the hardest roles to cast. He couldn't find someone who really captured uh, the intense presence and kind of the active motherly presence. Uh, and then he finally found uh, an actress from Romania. Yeah. He was able to do it. I, it was fantastic. Father, hold it there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and continue with Father John Bartunic, Inside the Passion, uh, an insider's look at the passion of the Christ. Of course, I know many of us are going to be watching uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, Good Friday, or sometime during Holy Week. We want to enter more deeply into the movie. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father John Bartunek. Inside the Passion, an insider's look at the Passion of the Christ, and we're talking about, uh, again, Mill Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, Father John was there uh, offering spiritual support uh, to members of the cast and uh, workers. I, I'm wondering, do, do you, did you sense that uh, Gibson thought this was going to be a blockbuster? Was he afraid it might be a flop? I mean, how did he anticipate the future of it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, Mel, when 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 he kind of made his journey back to believing in Jesus and wanting to to stay close to Him and live his faith, he was he was he felt so renewed in his own hope and his own purpose of life that he felt that he 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 had to tell the story. He had to tell the story of how Jesus had suffered. Uh, and the only way he knows to tell, how to tell stories is through movies. That's yeah. the way he tells stories. So he said, okay, I'm going to make this movie. And in his mind, it was just going to be this kind of a, uh, you know, an art house movie, a right. small movie. No one was going to pay attention <laughs> to it. He had no idea. He had no idea that it was going to end up being the highest grossing R-rated film in Hollywood history, even to this day. Oh. No idea. It was going to become a worldwide phenomenon. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, he's, he's going to have the, obviously he wasn't, he couldn't have been thinking that it was, he was aiming for great popularity because he was doing, you know, he was having it in, quote, two dead languages. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Oh, that's funny. Huh? Um, yeah, yeah. Do, do, do you know, um, there was this, at least for a while anyways, there was all this uh, this fear of anti-Semitism and accusations were made. And my memory is unclear, but it seems to me that by the time the film came out, that pretty much had died down once people actually began to see it. Uh, did he? Did you talk with him about those charges? Oh, yeah. That was a, a, one of the major controversies working towards the actual, um, you know, opening of the film. Yeah. Uh, there were even, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of scholars and scholarly groups and, um, you know, kind of schools of thought that that think of the Gospels themselves as anti-Semitic. That's right. That's true. And that, that you know, so and and those and, and many who read um, read anti-Semitism into a lot of the history of the Church, where it's not present. It also has been present. But right. So so those critics were very concerned that a movie um, that this film was was going to kind of perpetuate or give new impetus anti-Semitism, which has been a problem in the history of Western culture in so many ways, right? So, so they, it was interesting. They even 
there was a group of scholars who even somehow got a got a pirated copy of the editor's cut of the film before it was finished, mm-hmm. watched it, and published their critiques in all the major newspapers around the country <laughs> with it with a pirated copy of the film. I mean, oh my! You know, Which was it was it was remarkable. But you're right. Once the movie actually came out um, and people saw it, they realized no, this doesn't single out the Jews as Jews right. um, to be, you know, cursed by God. And no, it doesn't do that at all. No. And that's when the, the shift of critique went from anti-Semitism to, oh, this is too violent. There's too much violence. Here. Interesting. Yeah. But okay. there was a major shift there. Yeah. No, very interesting. I mean, Simon of Cyrene uh, is, uh, is, is of Jewish extraction in this film, which uh, is interesting. Um, and certainly you have... Uh, the, the Jesus's followers themselves are Jews, so you have. Uh, I, I just think I, the only the only claim that I think uh, could have been made is that uh, uh, Kai, the motiv- Caius's, Caiaphas's motivation, uh, the the phrase uh, that uh, it's better that one man die for his people, uh, that's not in the movie, and that could have helped to flesh out Caiaphas maybe a little bit, but other than that, I I don't. I don't see anything that would have indicated any in- intention at all uh, to insert anti-Semitism here. Uh, the Gospels themselves point to the Jewish leadership's responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. What of what of? Uh, I mean, a lot of time is spent with Pilate, though, and of course his wife. And I know some of this is from uh, uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich's work, *The Dolores Passion*, but. Um, to give to give that much background to Pontius Pilate, uh, I think is, is I enjoyed it. I think it helps to us to understand better the kind of ambivalence that Pilate had, which is also present in the Gospels. Um, did, did, was there much uh, discussion over uh, how Pilate would be portrayed? Yeah, actually, the the gentleman who played Pilate in the final version of the film was not the original actor who was cast for Pilate. They really? cast a, 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 yeah an earlier actor who who did not have like the actor the one that we see in the film is someone who's very masculine. You can tell he's got a military background, yeah. a strong personality. He's also intelligent. You know, he's he's a real Roman ruler, right? And the the actor who was cast first didn't kind of, wasn't able to communicate that kind of presence. Hmm. So it was very important from Mel's perspective that Pilate was a real man, a real person, um, you know, who was kind of caught in this and and made the wrong decision. Uh, and so he wanted that... From, from Mel, you had to be able to relate to everyone, really, in the movie. They had to all be very real people. Yeah. And from a theological standpoint, Mel wanted to bring out, hey, Jesus is dying for everyone, right? So he's not just, he's di- his own people, you know, the Jewish people, right. the people of the promise, but also the pagans, right? So his encounters with Pilate are, those, some of the, those are some very moving scenes when yeah. they're having their conversation, which are, they're recorded in the Gospels. Um, but, you know, he, he really wanted that presence to be, to be strong. I mean, Rome was a conquering power at the time. Right, so he wanted to to communicate that Jesus enters into in a relationship even with that. Yeah. So he enters into relationship with everyone. Yeah. So yeah, well, very good. There's this really beautiful um, few moments where uh, 
Pilate's wife approaches uh, uh, Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene and gives them linens by which they can uh, mop up the blood on the pavement there. Um, the first time I saw that, I, I, I just I was wondering, what's going on here? Uh, this is this is unusual, but of course, from a Catholic point of view, uh, you don't let the blood you don't let the blood lay on the floor. Uh, you you got to dab it up. You got to mop it up. Uh, do you know what was in Gibson's mind when he was doing this, or where did this scene come from? Yeah. So the idea there is Claudia, uh, Pontius Pilate's wife. She had advised him, right, not, you know, don't condemn the Galilean. She'd had a dream about him. And in subsequent Christian literature, uh, it seems that she became a Christian. She became a follower of Mm -hmm. Christ. So uh, Mel wanted to, so in that, and she tries to convince Pontius Pilate to do the right thing, but he won't listen to her. Right. And, and, And yet she's so convinced that Jesus is not an enemy and doesn't deserve this that she wants to do something. She wants to do something um, to, you know, to help in some way. She can't do much. But then she spots Jesus' mother, and she says, well, maybe I can, I can provide these linens. And in Mel's mind, she was providing the linens so that Mary, his mother, would have something to bury him in. Ah, okay, okay. That, that's, what in, that's what's in Claudia's mind, right? But Mel knows the Old Testament, where you didn't, none of the blood from the sacrifice yes. was wasted. You, you, it was all used in the sacrifice. It was all gathered up, every drop. So it's an image of the precious blood of our Lord, uh, whose every drop has infinite value to save us and redeem us from sins. And so Mary and Mary Magdalene, obviously in the tradition, in that Jewish tradition, they end up using the, the linens as well. They want to do something. They can't do anything. At least they can do this. Right? Yes, yes. So it's a channel for them to express their love. Very good, very good. Um, the character of Judas. In, in a number of other Jesus movies, Judas is presented sometimes as somebody who wants uh, the Messianic kingdom to come, uh, you know, now. And when he's convinced that Jesus is not going to bring about this millennial reign, um, he turns him in, and then he regrets it. But he's basically turning Jesus over out of the goodness of his heart. In this movie, Judas is portrayed as someone uh, who was clearly in the grip of the evil one. Uh, and I, I think this is more a more biblical picture uh, than we see in a lot of Jesus' movies. Was Mel aware that he was, you know, taking... Uh, departing from a lot of cinematic uh, tradition here in his portrayal of Judas. Yeah, he was very well aware of it. Judas was a very important role from Mel's perspective. Um, Mel felt like Judas. In his past life, when he's falling away from his faith and rejecting what he had received from God in his youth, and then coming back, you know, his own experience of repentance and reversion was, gosh, I, I'm like Judas. Uh, I'm the one. I'm the one who condemned Jesus. I'm the one who abandoned him. Right? So, so from Mel's perspective, Judas cannot be like a, a caricature of evil. He has to be a real human being that you can relate to. And as a matter of fact, um, the reason that he cast Luca, the, the Italian actor who played Judas, in that role 
Because when Mel was doing the interviews with him in the casting process, he felt he kind of he kind of felt sorry for Luca. Luca's hmm. a very nervous personality, or a successful actor, but very nervous. And he just had that sense, like Luca's presence elicited some compassion. And Mel said, yeah. that's Judith has to be as real like that. We have to feel sorry for him. We have to yeah. identify with him. Right, right. So that was an important aspect. Uh, one of the things that is uh, really striking to me is the portrayal of Satan, um, somewhat androgynous, but but also has that demon child uh, that he presents. Um, the commitment to portray Satan not as an influence, not as an idea, not as some metaphor or some symbol, but to present Satan as a person uh, is an important choice that he made. Uh, it's it's an orthodox choice to make, but um, it's it's hard to portray Satan. Do you know what his process was to come up with this particular characterization? Yes, yeah, that, that's a great observation, Al. He, you know, it's so important for, for Mel, his own journey and his own experience of God's goodness and also of his own brokenness, you know, convinced him fully that, that as according to Catholic doctrine, Satan is a fallen angel, a true spiritual yeah. being uh, who is against God, right? but was created good, was created an angel, was given existence, right? And then rebelled against God and became twisted and, and evil. So Mel said, and his own, Mel's own experience of sin and temptation, there's, there's always something that, that makes temptation, temptation tempting, right? There's something good that's being twisted or taken out of its proper place. So the role of Satan had to, be, had to reflect that kind of theological subtlety. So the, the actor who played Satan really was uh, a rather striking woman, an Italian actress. Uh, and then, then he, so there's something good underneath, right? Something beautiful and attractive. Mm-hmm. But then they shaved her head. They shaved off her eyebrows. Mm-hmm. They, they dubbed over a male voice. So there's something strange. And they even filmed her whenever she appears on screen. She's filmed at a different film speed than everyone else. Oh. So it jars you. There's something not quite right with this character. Huh. Wow. Uh, so there's something attractive, but there's something repulsive at the same time. Yeah. And that's how evil works in our lives. That's how temptation works in our lives. So that was very intentional on Mel's part. Yeah. Did he make any comment about that oversized baby that she clutches to her breast, and then he turns at one point and gives this ghoulish grin? <laughs> that was really unsettling. Yeah, so that happens during the flagellation, and it is a direct counterpart to the exchange of looks, which you've already referenced, actually, between Mary and Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is being scourged. Mary shows up and strengthens him, so he even stands up to take more, to absorb more of the suffering into more of our sins into his own body, right? Mm-hmm. So the mother-son relationship. Um, and then the devil shows up, and mocks it. Ah, mocks uh, it it's the counterfeit. Demon, like, it's the counterfeit Madonna and child. Right, right. Very good. Father, thanks so much uh, for being with us today. And uh, the book Inside the Passion and Insiders Look at the Passion of the Christ will have available for everybody in the online bookstore. Thanks so much. Thank you, Al. God bless you. Father John Bartunek, Inside the Passion.